Good morning. You guys did that better than the early service. Good morning. On behalf of the people of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, I bring you greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I do hope that your new year is off to a good start. Uh, our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. Mark 9, 14 through 29. And I would plead with you to listen now as I read, for this is the very word of God. Mark 9, beginning with verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I I brought my son to you, for he is a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. May the Lord bless to our hearts and minds the reading of his word. Would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we would come before you in great humility, endeavoring to believe that you can do all things and needing to believe that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. We can study, we can preach, we can listen, we can even take notes. But apart from the mighty working of your Spirit, we cannot repent, we cannot believe, we cannot bear the fruit of new obedience. There is no eternal spiritual good that we can produce in this hour in our own strength. So we beseech you, that you would be pleased to do a great work in and through us. That your word would not go forth in word only, but in power, bringing about full conviction. We pray these things in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Well, as you uh, most certainly know, this is the first Sunday of the new year, and this is a time when we often reflect on the year that was, and we consider what we would like to see in the year to come. And this morning, I would, I would like to adjure us to uh, that there's one thing that we need most of all in the year to come, and that is faith. For the scripture says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. But that raises the question, well, what is true and genuine faith? Well, what does such faith look like? How does it manifest itself? And in particular, we ask, uh, what does such faith look like in times of trial or crisis? Well, these are the questions that are addressed in our passage this morning. In the face of great trials that would undo us, what does it mean to believe? So without any further ado, let's jump right into the passage, beginning with verse 14. Here we read that Jesus, Peter, James, and John have come down the mountain after the transfiguration. And now they're looking to rejoin the other disciples. And we see right away in verse 14 that as they approach the other disciples, they encounter this chaotic scene of conflict. Just like Moses back in the book of Exodus, just like Elijah back in the book of 1 Kings, the disciples descend from their mountaintop experience with the glory of God, and they immediately run into a scene of human conflict. The scene is a little bit confusing. Grammatically, you might say it is a raging sea of pronouns. It needs a little bit of parsing out if we're to make some sense of it. So, so let's work our way through it. It says, they, which I take to mean Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they came to the disciples and they, that is Jesus, Peter, James, and John, saw a great crowd around them, which I take to be the other disciples. And the scribes were arguing with them, which again, I take to be the other disciples. And immediately it says that all the crowd saw him, that is Jesus, and they were greatly amazed and they ran up and greeted him. And he asked them, now this is a little bit unclear, could be the disciples, could be the scribes, but, but I actually think the most logical choice here is the crowd itself, because number one, that's the most immediate antecedent of the pronoun them. Your junior high grammar school teacher would be proud of you for recognizing that. And then secondly, uh, it's someone from the crowd who actually answers the question. So that kind of presupposes that was where the question was directed. So, so it says, he asked them, that is the crowd, what are you arguing about with them? Now, this is also a bit unclear because we know that the disciples were arguing with the scribes, uh, but we ask, well, who are the crowds arguing with? Are they arguing with the disciples or are they arguing with the scribes? I suppose it's altogether possible that they were on one side of the argument or the other. I think it's also possible that they were just arguing with both. There were those in the crowd taking all kinds of sides, some arguing with the scribes against the disciples, some arguing with the disciples against the scribes. It's hard to know for sure. But what we can know for sure is that at the end of the day, what we have here is a big old mess of conflict. Disciples arguing with scribes, crowds involved in various ways, arguing back and forth with the disciples and the scribes. Everybody's arguing with each other, and I feel a little bit like Mr. Banks in the, one of my children's favorite musicals, Mary Poppins, who walks in and demands, Winifred, would you be so good as to explain this unseemly hullabaloo? 
Well, that's essentially what Jesus does as he enters into this mess. He says, what are you arguing about with them? Come now, what's all this about? And a man from the crowd steps forward and basically says, okay, here's what we're arguing about. Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. Let's stop right there. I don't actually think that's what they're arguing about. I, I don't think they're arguing about the mere presence of this unclean spirit. Now, it is possible that some of the scribes were Sadducees. The Bible tells us that the Sadducees didn't believe in angels or demons or the resurrection of the dead. Uh, so it's possible that some were arguing whether this boy was argued with a demon. But by and large, uh, we, uh, I, I don't think that was the case. I think most people were readily acknowledging, given the evidence before them, that this boy was, in fact, possessed by an unclean spirit. I think as they saw this tormented boy, the reality of his demon possession was something they could all agree in. That may be stunning for us today in our day and age to believe such a thing. It was not stunning in that day and age. Jesus has been fighting unclean spirits and demons all throughout his ministry. It is no surprise that he does it again here. So what were they arguing about? I think the heart of the argument stemmed from the next phrase the man uttered, which was this. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. I think this gets us to the bone of contention. It is the disciples' inability to cast out this evil spirit. And that now is creating perhaps a whole realm of arguments. Now again, we don't know precisely what they were arguing about, but but it's not hard to imagine some of the possibilities. They could have been arguing about whether the disciples could ever cast out a demon. You guys can't do this. Who do you think you are? Where the disciples respond, no, we've done it before. We've done it before. We can do it now. Others begin to say, I don't think you could ever do it. No, we did. Well, then why can't you do it now? Maybe you're not doing it right. Maybe you should just say the right words. Will you stop talking to us and give us a minute? Maybe they were beginning to doubt whether Jesus himself could even cast out such a powerful demon. Well, again, we don't know the exact content of the argument, but what's interesting here is having heard this summary statement about what they were arguing about, Jesus does not hesitate to pronounce a general judgment on all of the arguing. He answers the man with these devastating words, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Oh, faithless generation. See, here Jesus declares that the root of all this arguing is the problem of unbelief. This arguing, it's the, the work, it's the fruit of a faithless generation, which that then raises the question, okay, so who exactly is Jesus calling faithless here? Who's the guilty party? And in what particular ways are they being faithless? Well, as I'll try to argue here, I think there are two primary guilty parties here with two distinct manifestations of faithlessness. The first manifestation of faithlessness comes from, I, I guess we could say, the scribes and the crowds that are siding with the scribes. And it very clearly seems to involve a fundamental lack of belief a lack of confidence in Christ's power to deal with the situation. 
We, we can see this faithlessness, this lack of confidence bubbling to the surface and becoming very clear as Jesus continues to examine the boy and continues to dialogue with his father. As he learns more about the situation, the, the father then says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus' response is quite striking. If you can, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Ah, here now, Jesus is honing in on the heart of the matter. Clearly, in Jesus' statement, he's giving a rebuke to the man. We don't know the exact tone of voice he used. It could have been a, a very gentle rebuke. But it's important to understand then what exactly is being chastised here. What exactly is being rebuked? The, 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 the problem obviously lies with this little phrase, if you can. But, but, but I think if we examine that a little closer, we, we can say that the, the issue Jesus takes with this phrase is not with the word if, but rather it is with the word can. Because this phrase, if you can, we should contrast that with a phrase we see again and again in the scriptures, which the Lord does not object to, and that is if you will. You see, the request, if you will, that's made multiple times of Jesus in the scriptures, uh, and he receives that as a request of faith. Now, we can see an example of this in uh, Matthew 8 or Luke 5, where a leper comes to Jesus and says, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus answers him by saying, I will be clean. You see, for Jesus, this request, if you will, then you can, that's not a faithless request. Well, why is that? Why, why does Jesus receive that request? Because I think we have to understand that it is not always the will of God to give us exactly what we ask for in exactly the way we have asked. Think of the man who was rescued from the legion of demons in Mark 5. Oh, he pleads with Jesus that he might then be able to go with Jesus. But Jesus says no, because it was not the Lord's will for that to take place. Instead, he says, you need to go home and tell your friends and family what the Lord has done for you. Now, Jesus certainly could have let the man come with him. It was well within his power to let the man come with him, but it was not his will for that situation. Or think about Paul. 2 Corinthians 12, pleading with the Lord on multiple occasions that the Lord would remove his thorn in the flesh, whatever that was. But again and again, the Lord said no. Not because of a lack of power on God's part, but rather because it was the Lord's will that his strength be made perfect in Paul's weakness. And so the thorn remained. Or perhaps the most certainly, not just perhaps, but the most certainly the, most, the greatest example of this is Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. He falls before his heavenly Father, acknowledging, Father, I know that all things are possible for you. So he pleads, let this cup, the cup of the cross, pass from me. But he adds, not my will, but your will be done. And thanks be to God, it was not the Father's will to let that cup pass from him. You see, in each of these requests, the issue is not the lack of ability on the Lord's part that led him to say no, 
It was not a lack of faith on the part of the one asking, but rather in God's perfect providence and plan, it was not his will to grant the particular request at the particular time. This is important because sometimes these words are taken out of context here. It's suggested if one just has enough faith, then God will necessarily grant all your requests because it doesn't say all things are possible for one who believes. But we can see from these other examples, the, the issue of the God saying no was, was not in these cases because of a lack of faith on the part of the individual making the request. I mean, certainly we would not impugn the Son of God for lacking faith in his heavenly Father as he prayed in Gethsemane. No, rather, we need to acknowledge sometimes we can make legitimate requests of God, believing that he certainly has the power to grant the request, but in that moment, even though he has the power to grant the request, it is not his will to grant the request in the way that we ask it because he has other more glorious purposes in mind. But, but then what we see here is that submitting to God's will understanding his divine prerogative to accomplish his purposes in his time. That must never be confused with actually lacking faith in God's power to do so. Jesus says here, if you can, I think what he's really taking offense at is the word can. If you can, do you not understand? All things are possible for the one who believes. Now, he doesn't say all things are promised, like God's some kind of genie in a bottle, but he says all things are possible. And why is that the case? Because when one offers up such a prayer to the Lord, one is trusting in the God who is almighty, the God who is infinite and eternal and unchangeable in his power. As the Lord said to Jeremiah, I am the Lord Almighty. Is anything too hard for me? <laughs> no, the God who spoke the cosmos into existence, the God who sustains the universe by the word of his power, the God who works all things according to the counsel of his will, the God with whom all things are possible, he can do anything. And Jesus, I think, is saying here, essentially, I am that God. <laughs> I can do all things. You may ask me to do something if I will, because you don't have exhaustive knowledge of my will, but do not ask me to do something if I can. <laughs> Sir, do not suggest, even for one moment, that this evil spirit, even with all of its obvious destructive powers, even with all the horrors it has wrought in your son's life, even with the futility of my disciples' actions in the face of this great power, do not suggest, do not allow your heart to entertain the thought that I actually lack the power to help you. Sir, do not say if you can. You must believe that I can and be willing to submit to my will. Well, here the man knows he's been found out. His doubt, his faithlessness has been exposed because he doesn't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus can do it. 
This is a crazy situation, and people have tried, and nothing's ever happened. And so, but what does he do? In his desperation, he just offers up to the Lord what he has. He declares, okay, okay. I believe, but help my unbelief. What a glorious statement. I mean, in one sense, I think the man can say with a clear conscience, I, I do believe you can do it, Jesus. I mean, that's why I brought my son to you in the first place because I thought you could do it. And yet, I, I must confess, my faith is fragile. It's weak, battered by the hardship of life. This is a tear-stained faith, Jesus. I've watched my boy suffer like this all his life, and just now I've seen your disciples fail. They couldn't do it. And I've been listening to people argue trying to explain that failure. People are saying that you don't even have the power to do it, and I don't know what to think. I know you can do it. That's why I came. I came in hope of your power, but I'm still afraid. I'm afraid that even now, perhaps you, like your disciples, you've met your match. So help me, Lord. Help my son, of course, but help me too. Help my unbelief. (laughs) And Jesus then proceeds to show, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that of course he can do it. And in this particular case, he wills that it be done. So he orders with a word that this destructive, evil spirit come out of the boy the spirit that no one could cast out, that no one could take on, he orders him out with an unbreakable command to come out and never return. He demonstrates in a moment what he's shown before, what he will show again, that this Jesus has the power to free the captive, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. He can do all things. All things are possible for him. And I would simply ask you this morning, do you believe that? Do you believe that he can? Do you believe that this Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of God, do you believe he can do all things? Do you believe he can heal a leper 